1: Then the devil who fooled them will be thrown into the lake of fire and burning sulfur. He will be there with the beast and the false prophet, and they will be in pain day and night, forever and ever.
0: Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, contemporary English version. Hello, welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. We're glad that you're able to join us today on Anchored by Truth as we move forward with a series we call The Seriousness of Sin. We live in a day and time when not only do many people reject the idea of God, but also many people do acknowledge God's existence, nevertheless reject the idea of sin. Our culture has given up, or pushes away, the awareness that there is a holy God who will hold people accountable for all of their actions and deeds. So, we are spending several episodes of Anchored by Truth reaffirming that not only does the Bible firmly teach the reality of sin, but also that our ordinary life experiences ratify that sin is present in our lives and in the lives of everyone around us. In the studio, as we continue our series, we have R.D. Fierro, who is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., in our first episode of this series, we discussed what you called the stakes of sin. And last time, we identified that one of sin's dire consequences is that sin will send people to hell. That's a pretty high stake, isn't it?
2: Sin is not a very pleasant subject to talk about, but it is a necessary subject for anyone who wants to understand the Christian faith, and that should be everyone. Because frankly, the entire Christian faith is about offsetting the consequences of sin and enabling people to have an eternal destiny that's going to be one of blessing and joy rather than one of condemnation and torment. And I would definitely say that the possibility of someone winding up in hell is probably the highest possible stake for all people, for everyone individually. And that's true in no small part, because as we heard in our opening scripture, hell is eternal. You know, that verse, our opening scripture from Revelation is very clear that the devils, as well as some people, are going to be in, quote, pain day and night, forever and ever. You know, the beast and the false prophet that are mentioned in that verse, those are people who served Satan's kingdom on this earth. So their fate for eternity is going to be the same fate as Satan's.
0: That verse says the devil is going to be thrown into, quote, the lake of fire and burning sulfur, unquote. And that's one of the subjects that we want to talk about today. Do you think that the Bible is being poetic when it proclaims that the devil's eternal destination is a lake of fire and burning sulfur? Or is there the possibility that that verse contains some literal truth?
2: Well, before I get to that question, I'd also like to go over a few other parts of the Bible that talk about hell other than the verse that we heard about in our opening scripture from the book of Revelation. I also want to remind everyone that we also spent our last episode of Anchored by Truth talking about hell. So anybody who would like to pick up that episode can just go to our website, crystalseabooks.com, that's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, S-E-A, books.com, and they can hear that previous episode of Anchored by Truth, as well as all the previous episodes of Anchored by Truth. Well, our last episode of Anchored by Truth, our focus was on the reality of hell. But in this episode, I want to build on what we discussed last time and discuss the nature of hell. You know, a lot of people today, they want to dismiss the whole idea of sin. Well, just as some people want to dismiss the whole idea of sin, there are people today, including an entire strain of Christian thought, that wants to dismiss the idea of hell. But as we pointed out last time, the person in the Bible who talked the most about hell is Jesus. Jesus clearly proclaimed that hell is a literal place. And none of Jesus' descriptions about hell differ substantively from what we heard in our opening verse from Revelation.
0: For instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 49 and 50, Jesus said, quote, That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, unquote. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 47 and 48, Jesus said, It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to be thrown into hell, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out, unquote. And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said, If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell, unquote. These are just examples of some things that Jesus said about hell. All of those are from the New Living Translation Bible.
2: So, just as Jesus confirmed the reality of hell in his teaching, he also gave us a great deal to consider about the nature of hell. And notice that in all of the sample scriptures you just mentioned, the idea of fire is present in each one. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 50, Jesus mentions a fiery furnace. In Mark chapter 9 verse 48, hell is said to be a place where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. And in Matthew 5:22, Jesus said, if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So here we have four different verses from various books of the Bible, and all of them contain some reference to fire.
0: So it's little wonder that even cartoon depictions of hell in some Hollywood productions, as awful as they are theologically, all use fire as a common motif in portraying hell.
2: Yes, but fire is not the only thing that is often mentioned when the subject of hell comes up in the Bible. One of the most prominent discussions about hell outside of Jesus' descriptions is found in the book of Jude, which is the next to last book of the Bible. Jude, verse 6, says, you also know about the angels who didn't do their work and left their proper places. God chained them with everlasting chains and is now keeping them in dark pits until the great day of judgment, quote.
0: Jude has only one chapter, so it's only necessary to give the verse number for it. Right.
2: So notice that Jude mentions dark pits and everlasting chains as elements that are also present in hell.
0: And that reference to dark pits calls to mind some other verses. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9 from the Berean Standard Bible says this, quote, He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. Unquote. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, Amplified Bible says this, quote, The descendants of Abraham, who will not recognize me as Messiah, will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place, which is furthest removed from the kingdom, there will be weeping, in sorrow and pain, and grinding of teeth, in distress and anger." So there are three different references about hell, all of which mention darkness. I can see why you wanted to add a few other Bible verses to our inventory about hell before we focused more on the verse from Revelation. Because, at least on the surface, it might seem hard to reconcile the idea of fire, a lake of fire, or a fiery furnace, with a place of darkness.
2: And let's not forget Jesus' comment about a place where maggots never die. You know, a cynic might observe that on this earth, you're very unlikely to find maggots living in the midst of a fiery furnace. In fact, that's probably the last place you'd expect to find maggots.
0: Hmm. I'm starting to see why you wanted to do this episode about the nature of hell. Taken together, we get a picture of hell that might seem to be confusing. Some people might even argue that some of the descriptions are in conflict with others.
2: Well, and let's add a couple of more verses into the mix. And I think after we do so, some clarity will start to emerge. The Apostle Paul also wrote about hell, and a couple of the best-known verses that he wrote about are found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9. through
0: Those verses say, quote, When the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God, and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power,
2: So, one of the key elements about hell that we can point to with certainty is, quote, eternal destruction. Now, whatever the specific manifestations of hell are, they're all going to be destructive to the occupants of hell. And that destruction is going to last eternally. Now, for those of us who live in a physical universe, we are accustomed to always having destruction within limits. And if we tear down a building, there's going to be a point where the building is totally destroyed. If we have a garden and our dog gets loose, well, the dog may destroy the garden, but once the garden is destroyed, well, the garden's just gone. Now, human beings can destroy themselves, and many do, but that destruction always ends with death. In our physical universe, destruction is never eternal. There are always limits. But that changes when it comes to the time after our death in this physical universe. There are no limits there on how long destruction can continue.
0: And that should begin to strike true terror in the hearts of people who think about it. It's one thing to suffer here. There are a lot of terrible diseases and conditions, and just about everybody knows somebody who has suffered with a prolonged condition. But we always know that their suffering will have a definite end. But that changes when we leave this life, doesn't it? And that's terrifying.
2: Amen. So from the Apostle Paul, we see a common element that ties all of our earlier verses together. Fires, furnaces, and maggots are all destructive in one way or another. And darkness is often a consequence of destruction. Think about the clouds of smoke that are produced by a large fire especially a fire that is fed by oil or tar, especially if the fire is confined in some way. Well, this attribute of hell, the confinement, is reinforced by the fact that hell is often connected with a pit or an abyss.
0: In Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we are told this, The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. Unquote. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 27 through 31, we hear this famous incident quote, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon possessed man from the town. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss, unquote. And both of those are from the New International Version.
2: So, from all of these references, while we may not be able to answer every question that we would like, we can form some pretty clear ideas about the nature of hell, starting with the fact that hell is a place of destruction, and the process of destruction there goes on forever. Said differently, whatever the soul in hell experiences, it is going to feel as though they are being destroyed, and those feelings are going to last forever without let-up. And it seems that we can also say that that destructive presence in hell is going to be connected with the sensation, at least the sensation, of extreme heat or fire. Now, I don't think we can say with certainty that there will be a literal fire, but I also don't think that we can exclude that possibility. And I definitely think that we can say that hell is a place of confinement and restriction, as would be true of any pit or abyss.
0: Well, certainly a fire burning in a pit or deep abyss would match many of the descriptions. People might sense the fire, but if the fire is accompanied by a great deal of smoke, that would be consistent with darkness, even a profound darkness. And certainly anything tossed into a burning pit is going to be destroyed. On this earth, the destruction will end when the physical elements that comprise the thing have been reduced as far as physically possible. But if that limit doesn't exist, who knows what that is like? Certainly not any of us here who are alive in the physical universe.
2: And that points to another important attribute to recognize about the nature of hell. In this universe, we live within our bodies. We are not our bodies per se, because human beings are comprised of both material and non-material components. We have bodies, but we also have minds and souls and spirits. Even people who don't believe in God know that they have a mind and emotions that are separate from their physical body. Their mind and emotions are certainly affected by their bodies, but even non-believers can make that distinction. But our minds, souls, and spirits are present in this life within our bodies. So our bodies put a limit on our suffering, but that limit is cast off when our souls, spirits, and minds are separated from our bodies.
0: Oh, I think I see what you're saying, and I don't like it. In this life, all of the sensations we experience are filtered by our flesh. When our flesh fails, our sensations change. There are certain conditions, like diabetes or Hansen's disease, where nerves deteriorate and are no longer able to transmit signals to the brain. Hansen's disease is one form of leprosy. With those kinds of diseases, the body might deteriorate, even severely, and the person would never notice it because they wouldn't get the sensations of the decline that would normally be present. And all
2: that would change if it's not your flesh that is passing the signals. If we could somehow perceive pain directly, without the mediation of our body, it's impossible for us to conceive of how horrible that would be. Remember, the Bible is very clear that demons are also going to be tormented in hell. Now, think about the verses we just heard from Luke chapter 8. Demons are spiritual creatures. They don't have bodies, but they can experience torment despite not having a body. And the demons clearly have a fear of the abyss. And I'm sure the reason that the demons fear the abyss is because that's the place of torment. Well, the point is that on this earth, we can at least have the comfort of knowing that our suffering will have its limits. Now, those limits may not be things we're happy with, uh, and it may not feel sometimes like there's a limit to our suffering. But intellectually, we at least know that our suffering would end at some point. But the demons are very well aware that they can be tormented in the abyss without limit.
0: Yikes! That's something we never think about. We're so used to living in the physical world that it's hard for us to envision a condition where we don't have the limits we have here. So, as
2: we said last time, all of this points out why we need to soberly and honestly discuss the seriousness of sin. Sin and hell are inextricably linked. Sin separates people from God's goodness and exposes them to the horror of hell. And hell is horrible. There's at least one more thing that we need to make clear about hell before we wrap up for today. Which is? Well, we need to get rid of the idea that hell is some kind of a giant party place where the sinners are all going to go and just be with their sinful friends, and that all of those sinners together are just going to continue sinning for all eternity.
0: Well, I think most of us have heard that old saying that goes something like this, I don't care if I get sent to hell. That's where all my friends will be. Is that what you're thinking about?
2: Yes. There is a frivolous notion that circulates in our culture that even if hell is a hot place, everyone there will be free to roam around and at least share their misery with other people. Well, nothing could be further from the truth.
0: You're thinking about the verse that we heard from Jude and about Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 and 2. Those verses say, quote, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him. Unquote. That's the New International Version Bible. Both Jude and John, who wrote Revelation, mention demons being bound with chains. Anyone bound with chains is certainly not going to be roaming about.
2: Yes. Now again, I don't know whether the chains are literal or whether God is simply using images that would have been familiar to the audiences of that time. Chains and prison and chains in prison were certainly common in the age when John and Jude wrote. But whether the chains are literal or not, the language that John and Jude used sends a very clear message that the demons and people in hell are going to somehow be confined. Now, will they be confined together or separately? We don't know. But there is no Bible verse whatsoever that ever indicates that the prisoners in hell will have the opportunity to be sharing their misery with one another. The old saying, misery loves company. Well, people sharing misery with one another, that would be some form of comfort. And I just don't think there's going to be any comfort to be derived in hell, including by sharing misery.
0: I see what you're getting at. One common idea about hell is that it would be like an earthly prison. A hot one, maybe, but like a prison. And in prison, prisoners are usually free to move about and talk to each other. Only the worst prisons chain the prisoners, and where that is done, it adds misery upon misery. But you see that as a distinct possibility in hell.
2: Yes. A lot of people would like to think that all of the Bible's descriptions about the attributes and the nature of hell are symbolic rather than literal. But as the New Geneva Study Bible puts it in their textual note on hell, quote, These terms are probably symbolic rather than literal, but if anything, the reality will be more terrible than the symbol. New Testament teaching about hell is meant to appall us and fill us with horror. Close quote.
0: The symbols in the Bible always have an underlying reality. For hundreds of years, the Jews were told that a Messiah was coming who would be their deliverer, and they associated the Passover lamb with the deliverance because of their deliverance from bondage in Egypt. But when the ultimate Passover lamb arrived, the deliverance wasn't just from political bondage, but from the even far greater bondage to sin and hell. In other words, the reality of Christ's sacrifice provided a far better deliverance than they had expected. That's the positive side of symbols and reality. Hell is the negative side. Yes.
2: Hell is not just a possibility. It is a certainty for anyone who rejects Jesus. So why risk eternal fire, the chains, the darkness, the bottomless pit? Why risk all that when there isn't any need to? Jesus will deliver everyone who confesses their sin and accepts his provision for their sin. Jesus will deliver them. You know, when he taught... Jesus talked about hell in large measure to make sure that his audience understood what was at stake. So regardless of how we conceive of all of the descriptive elements of hell being manifested in reality, the truth is, our human minds probably can't form an adequate image of the true horror that is present in hell.
0: I am reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7-9, through 9, quote, The wisdom we speak is of the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what scripture means when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, unquote. When the Apostle Paul wrote that, He was saying that heaven is going to be so glorious that we cannot imagine how glorious it will be. The glory of heaven has never entered the imagination of any human mind.
2: Yes, and the same thing is true on the flip side. And one final note. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 21, Jesus said, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the New International Version. Now, notice that Jesus, who would know, said that the eternal fire was not prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his rebellious angel followers. Human beings were created to live in Eden, in paradise. Adam and Eve exchanged a life without death in Eden for death and the possibility of sharing hell with the demons because they disobeyed God. And that's how serious sin is. One sin in Eden cost mankind an earthly paradise. Well, now it's up to each of us to decide whether we want to also give up our eternal paradise. The Apostle Paul said, God has prepared wonderful things for those who love Him. The eternal fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. Not people, not human beings. It was not prepared for us. It's foreign to us. We have to deliberately disobey God and reject His provision for our sin to partake of that. So, why would we do that? Why would we not simply accept God's gracious offer of salvation through Christ Jesus, and even though we've lost our earthly paradise, we will embrace that eternal paradise, where, as Paul said, Our human minds can't even envision the glory, the beauty, the blessing, the joy that God has prepared for those who love Him.
0: So the big idea that we wanted to introduce in this series is that sin is serious. The nature of hell shows us how serious God is about sin. If sin weren't cosmically serious, hell wouldn't have to be so cosmically horrible. Our culture doesn't like the idea of sin or hell, and we understand that. But our preferences don't change reality. We don't like the idea of sin or that we might be sent to hell. And anchored by truth, we're not naive. We get that many people find the idea of sin and hell objectionable. But the question that each of us must answer for ourselves is whether we will accept the provisions that Jesus made for us or stubbornly continue to insist that sin is just an outdated concept with no relevance to our modern world. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer for our nation.
1: A prayer for the nation. Almighty and sovereign Father, you are the one true and perfect ruler of all that is and all that ever will be. The stars move at your command and the cosmos stretches out by the works of your hands. If the heavens themselves and all they contain are ruled by you, then how much more are the nations of men subject to your eternal reign? Lord, we come to you today to pray for our nation, the United States of America. In our Pledge of Allegiance, we pledge that this is one nation under God. May it truly be so. May our people recognize that we owe our existence to you and that you are the rightful master of this nation, and indeed all creation. Nations rise and fall at your command, for you ordain and govern all the affairs of this world. We pray, Lord, that this nation might find favor in your sight as we turn and look to you. We know that there is much about our nation and people today that does not please you and does not conform to your will forgive us for this mighty lord in too many ways we have wandered from the truths upon which we were founded we repent of our wanderings and especially the part we have played in them we have too often lost sight that we will all be held accountable to you and this has led to foolish pride and unwise presumption bring us to a renewed sense of your holiness and justice and help us to rebuke our failings. Help us to humble ourselves so that we may begin again to walk straight paths as we depend on you. Lord, there are many other nations and groups in this world that would seek our harm and even our devastation. Even now, many conspire against us. We pray that you would not allow them to succeed. Do not let our stumbles become an occasion for their joy. We pray that you would confound them in their efforts to cause us harm and injury. We do not ask this on the basis of our goodness, but on the basis of your mercy. Do not let them become proud by granting them a victory as we struggle for restoration. Lord, give wisdom and instruction to our leaders at all levels, both civilian and military. Turn their hearts to you and bring them into direct contact with your transforming character remind them that they are your stewards and that all their authority comes only from you let the name of your son be lifted up in our hearts as we rejoice in the restoration and salvation he brought we glory and hope in his name and it is in his name we pray amen
0: Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where
2: We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A- And books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.